Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Yale Journal of Biology and Medicine podcast. YJBM is a PubMed-indexed quarterly journal edited by Yale medical, graduate, and professional students, and peer-reviewed by experts in the field of biology and medicine. Each issue of the journal is devoted to a focus topic, and through a few episodes of this podcast, we're going to take you through the past, present, and future of the issue. Pay attention! This episode is the first of two devoted to our March 2019 issue on attention science. I'm your host, Amelia Hallworth, a second-year graduate student in microbiology. And I'm Kelsey Castell, a first-year graduate student in public health. We're going to walk you through some attention science, and we're going to start with attention as a child into early adolescence and teenage years, adulthood, and then finally end with how attention works when we're in the older age categories of life. We'll first start discussing attention as a baby and during early childhood. The first study we're going to discuss um, assesses infant infant attention at five months of age, assessed by how long the child held visual attention, where they were assessed as either short or long lookers, and they show that it was predictive of executive function at the year, year and a half, and two-year marks in a 2013 study of 202 children. Children who were short lookers had higher executive functions during the early childhood assessment points, independent of verbal development. Um, the short and long looking is a measure of the orientating attention network, which matures between three and six months of age. Orienting attention is attention based on how we fixate or change our visual attention. In this study, hand puppets were used to measure orienting attention among those among very young children. Cognitive psych studies are challenging enough to design for adults, but the added challenges of studying subjects that are below the age of one is hard to imagine. To understand more of the techniques used to assess executive attention in young children, which was the outcome in the study, these children, the study used multiple metrics, such as, but not limited to, um, children were asked to correctly identify which cup an item was hidden under after a five-second distraction by the study proctor. Uh, They also asked children to hold a goldfish cracker on their tongue without chewing it for up to 30 seconds, which sounds kind of challenging even, even as an adult. And they also included a structured game of Simon Says where the child would be asked to do as the nice horse said in the study and ignore what the mean cow said. Um, As I mentioned, the outcome measured was executive attention, which is generally described as planning, goal setting, and inhibition control, as well as task completion. And this develops quickly during early childhood. It's positively associated with academic performance, while low executive attention has been associated with disorders such as autism spectrum disorder, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. In another study on executive function by Reck and colleagues, Executive function, particularly measured as sustained attention in combination with age, predicted inhibitory control among subjects. Here, the tests of inhibitory of inhibitory control included a structured Simon Says, like that described in the previous study, as well as others designed to show or prompt one response but expect the child to say or do something different. For example, showing a child a picture of the moon but asking them to say day and vice versa. These games might resemble common brain training games that we play on our phones as adults where you're presented a series of flashcards and the word in blue is written in the color red and you're asked to select the font color, which would be red in this case. But it requires inhibition of the word that you're reading and possibly more likely to register and say in response. The results show that higher sustained attention ability was predictive of stronger inhibitory control among the children and that this control increased with increasing age. 
A study published this month in YJBM by Craybill, Kim Spoon, and Bell looked at how this early executive function correlation arises. They tested five-month-old infants and then retested them at three years old. Executive function at five months was correlated with the executive function seen at three years and and therefore may be later in life. The last attention study on children that I'll mention evaluated the attentional strengths and weaknesses of children with Williams syndrome and Down syndrome. Both Williams and Down syndrome are genetic conditions that cause cognitive delays as well as other medical disabilities, and both syndromes are present at birth. The researchers measured attention using the early childhood attention battery, an exam for children with mental ages between three and six that can include children with with developmental delays. The exam measured selective attention by identifying target items and ignoring others, sustained attention where they maintained attention through a sequence of visual and auditory stimuli, and attentional control where they were asked to choose or say the opposite of what was presented or sort based on changing guidelines. Both groups of children performed poorly on assessments of selective attention and attentional control, but comparatively well on the assessment of sustained attention. Also noted were differences between groups. Children with Williams syndrome had what the authors identified as a particular as a particular deficit in visuospatial response control, while the children with Down syndrome had stronger auditory sustained attention. Knowing these differences in strengths between syndromes could allow for more tailored classroom interventions for children in the future. So now let's move from how you first develop attention as a child and baby uh, into uh, attention as a teenager and adult when you might get your first phone. So there's been a lot of attention within the past few years about the effects of technology on our attention and our brains. And it's very easy to find anecdotes on the internet, uh, for example, from teachers about how school children are being more inattentive or uh, think pieces about phones rotting our brains. Um, But what does the science actually say? So in 2015, there was a study from Deloitte that looked at how often people check their phones. And they found that 43 times per day on average, uh, people opened up their phones and checked them. This number they found had increased from 2014. And since 2015, uh, when the study was done, this number has probably increased even further. So what does that actually mean for attention? So a 2012 study by Microsoft uh, found a very alarming drop in attention span uh, to eight seconds uh, in 2015. And they found that this had dropped from 12 seconds in 2000. So people's attention spans seem to be getting shorter over time. Um, They also showed in this study that people are getting better at multitasking and concentrating in short bursts, as you might expect if people are spending a lot of time on the phone. However, I think this study might be a little bit of an oversimplification. Uh, For one thing, this study was done by Microsoft uh, for advertisers. Um, So one thing that's important to remember is that attention span varies depending on the task. So personally, I'm not willing to pay attention to an ad for probably even eight seconds. But on the other hand, I'm able to uh, pay attention long enough to do this podcast, which is lasting for much longer than eight seconds. Uh, So really, your attention and the amount of time you're willing to pay attention depends on a lot of things, including what you're doing and how interested you might be in it. Uh, Another common statistic that you might have seen floating around uh, in, in relation to online course videos Uh, And that statistic says you should make the videos very short because people will only pay attention to the videos for six minutes, which already is much longer than the eight seconds Microsoft found. Um, So a 2017 study from the University of Israel looked at uh, how accurate the six-minute attention span uh, statistic was 
using an online course that was teaching English as a second language. And they used as their readout the rates of students actually watching all the way through the lecture. So if uh, they only paid attention for six minutes, a lecture that's longer than six minutes, probably people won't watch all the way through, whereas if it's shorter than six minutes, they probably would. Uh, and unsurprisingly, they found that people were more likely to watch short videos than long videos. Uh, in the case of this study, the cutoff they used was 11 minutes rather than six minutes, but this still makes a lot of sense. But what they found was that when you added interactive quiz questions throughout the videos, the completion rates of both the short and the long videos increased. So this is in contrast to the six-minute attention hypothesis, which would say that only you could, you could only increase the short video completion and the long videos are just too long and no one's going to pay attention. What they found was that here as well, the attention span is varying depending on the task and how engaging it is. So if you make the task more engaging by adding these quiz questions throughout, then you're going to increase attention span regardless of how long the video is. But is technology actually harmful to attention? So there have been several studies that look at this. Um, a 2009 study uh, by Ophir, Ness, and Wagner looked at media multitasking habits, so how often you're switching between tasks on your uh, phone, for example, and how you're processing information. So uh, what you might expect is that people who are heavy multitaskers, who frequently switch tasks in their everyday life, were more easily distracted by outside stimuli. So if you ask them to do a kind of confusing task, they were more easily distracted by the extraneous, not relevant information. But what they did find that was actually really surprising is that on a task, switch, task switching test, where they had the information for both tasks and they needed to focus on one or the other, they actually, the people who were heavy multitaskers actually did worse on this task because they were uh, having trouble filtering out the information that was only relevant for the other task that they weren't doing. So based on this study, it's possible that using technology and using phones, uh, in particular using them to multitask, might actually be harmful to our ability uh, to pay attention to a particular task. Uh, and then a 2014 study by Lowe and Kainai uh, followed up on this uh, and a few other studies by looking at the changes in the brain that were associated with media multitasking. And what they found uh, was that the high multitaskers tended to have uh, less brain in a part of the brain called the anterior cingulate cortex. And this is the brain that's associated in attention control. So uh, if part of your brain, like when you see something, some weird sim signal, this is the part of your brain that says, no, don't pay attention to that. We're supposed to be paying attention to something else. Uh, and so if these high multitaskers have a smaller anterior cingulate cortexes, this might explain part of uh, why they're switching between tasks as often. However, because of the study design, we, we don't know whether this is a cause or even which direction the cause comes. Um, so for example, we can't tell whether the multitasking is what's causing the brain to be smaller, or it might be the reverse. It might be that these people uh, with smaller anterior cingulate cortexes have more trouble uh, paying attention to a particular task, and this is why they multitask as much. Uh, this study is currently just a correlation, and so we need some more uh, research to uh, figure out what's going on here. But there is some good news for attention and technology. Uh, a 2003 study from the University of Rochester looked at how playing video games affects your attention. And typically, training in a task, like playing a video game, increases how you do on that particular task, but it doesn't usually generalize to your attention as a whole. So, for example, if I... Um, 
learn how to do a task where I am predicting the number of, say, pennies on a screen, that might make me better at predicting the number of pennies on a screen quickly, but that won't necessarily help me if I am trying to do a different kind of test. So they did four different tests to measure attention in the video games, sorry, between the video game players and the non-players, uh, including the attention over space, so they showed things in different parts of a screen and they had to tell what was going on where, attention over time, and ignoring distractions. And surprisingly, the people who played video games were better than non-gamers at all of these tests, tests as opposed to the uh, prediction that they would only be better at particular tasks. And what they also did was that the non they had non-video gamers play video games over time, and they saw that their attention increased on all of these tests as a result. So this study uh, is really cool because it directly shows that playing video games uh, at least in this particular scenario, was increasing attention in general. Um, so I thought this was really cool because this was very different from the other studies I was seeing. And one possible reason for this is maybe because when you're playing video games, you're focusing for an extended period of time on just one screen. This isn't multitasking like if you're on a phone. This would be uh, one particular thing you're focusing on for a while. And playing video games involves a lot of different uh, kinds of attention. You're paying attention over time as you're trying to remember what you're doing. You're paying attention to things in different parts of the screen and avoiding the distractions. So I think playing video games, um, part of the reason why playing video games might have increased all of these tasks is because it's uh, relevant to all of these tasks. Um, so maybe next time you want to play video games, you might want to just tell yourself you're working on improving your attention span. That might make you feel a little bit less guilty about it. Um, and if you're interested in attention and technology, there is actually a really cool paper published in YJBM this month in the attention science issue uh, by Jason Lodge at the University of Queensland. And it discusses uh, the complexity of the relationship between technology and attention in much more detail than we have time to get into today um, and discusses some of the areas that need some more research. So lastly, we're going to cover attention in old age. The changes in sustained attention among older populations are not clearly defined, but there's a review by Staub and colleagues that provides an interesting background on how the two forms of sustained attention assessments were developed. The first assessment, now, tradi now called Traditionally Formatted task, Tasks, or TFTs, measures vigilance by asking the subject to identify rare events to, over a long period of constant stimuli, and this was originally developed to test British Air Force radar technicians. Technicians were asked to watch a clock for two hours and detect when the clock hand made an unpredictable or unexpected jump in time. The second test and more recently developed test called the Sustained Attention to Response Task, or SART, displays a series of numbers 1 through 9 and asks the subject to respond to all numbers except the number 3. This incorporates a form of inhibition that is not present in the TFT test, and variations on the SART, SART incorporate different additions of inhibition testing. In this review, 11 of the 23 TFT tests on older populations show declines in attention where deficits included a greater number of false alarms and decreases in vigilance compared to younger study subjects. But this association, this association was not true for all studies reviewed, and some showed that there was no difference in vigilance or deficits between older adults and younger study subjects. Fewer studies have tested the change in vigilance by age using the SART assessment, but some have shown that older adults were slower but actually more precise in their responses compared to younger participants. So we all start to lose some form of our attention as we age, but those who 
um, live with Alzheimer's or other dementia-related diseases have a more severe loss of attention. Alzheimer's is characterized by early effects on memory. The first non-memory functional loss appears to be attention, followed by declines in language and visual-spatial functioning. With attentional function, there's evidence that sustained attention is preserved during early Alzheimer's stages, while divided and selective attention aspects start to decline first. And remind me, which one was sustained attention? Sustained attention was where you can continually process visual stimuli for long periods of time. And then divided attention is like multitasking and task switching, whereas selective attention is ignoring uh, like unimportant inputs. Yeah. If you're interested in learning more, a review published this month on YJBM discusses the differences between attention loss that occurs as a result of aging and attention loss that occurs during Alzheimer's. Vascular dementia and Alzheimer's disease both show declines in attention and memory, but how these differ by disease is unclear. Some studies have shown that people with vascular dementia have greater attentional declines compared to those with Alzheimer's, while other studies have indicated equivalent declines among both groups. A 2010 study of Alzheimer's and vascular dementia showed that both groups had slower informational processing speeds compared to the control group, healthy older adults, and study participants with vascular dementia had slower choice reaction time and had lower accuracy on the digit vigilance test, which measured sustained attention compared to the participants with Alzheimer's. The overall accuracy of the choice reaction time test was not differentially affected by disease type. This study, in conjunction with others, shows that sustained attention is affected during early vascular dementia, de- early vascular dementia disease progression and late in Alzheimer's disease progression. Sleep is also affected by Alzheimer's. As every sleep-deprived student knows, sleep disruptions also affect attention. A review published in YJBM this month discusses the way that these two conditions affect attention and areas of future research that are needed to improve patients' lives. Hopefully we haven't lost your attention by now, and if you're still with us, it's possible that just listening to this podcast while performing other activities has affected your attention in some way. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Yale Journal of Biology and Medicine podcast. Join us next month for a second podcast on attention science. We're going to be interviewing Dr. Thomas Brown, a former Yale professor who's currently running an ADHD clinic while serving on the clinical faculty of the Keck Medical School at the University of Southern California. Thank you to the Yale School of Medicine for being a home for YJBM and the podcast. Thank you to the Yale Broadcast Center for help with recording, editing, and publishing our podcast. And thank you to the YJBM editorial board, especially the editors-in-chief, Helen Balenson and Fatima Mirza, and the deputy editors for this issue, Kavita Israni-Winger and Patrice Suen. For more information on YJBM and our podcast, please visit, med- please visit medicine.yale.edu slash YJBM. Be sure to check out our journal by searching the Yale Journal of Biology and Medicine at PubMed. We'd love your feedback and questions, so please tell us your thoughts by emailing us at yjbm at yale.edu. If you enjoyed our podcast, please share our podcast on Apple Podcasts or SoundCloud. See you next month for the next installment of the YJBM podcast.